Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode has been brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th of 2022 in Verona, Italy. This year will be an exclusively in-person edition. The main theme of the event will be all-round wine communication. Tickets are on sale now, so for more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Listen in as we journey to some of Italy's most beautiful places in the company of those who know them best, the families who grow grapes and make fabulous wines. Through their stories, we will learn not just about their wines, but also about their ways of life, the local and regional foods and specialities that pair naturally with their wines, and the most beautiful places to visit. We have a wonderful journey of discovery ahead of us, and I hope you you will join me. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Today, we travel to Emilia-Romagna to visit Tenuta Venturini-Baldini, where my guest today, Giulia Prestia, together with her husband, Giuseppe, produce a range of typical vini spumanti, wines that pair wonderfully well with the foods of Reggio Emilia and Parma. Thank you so much for being my guest today, Julia. How are you? And is it a beautiful day where you are? Thank you, Mark, for having me. It's a pleasure to be on on the podcast. Um, I'm very well today. Thank you. And it's actually, it's a really nice um, autumn day. We are having this you know, the Indian summer coloring in the estate. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's not too warm, but it's not, it's just right. It just feels like a really nice autumn day. Oh, it sounds beautiful. Can you, um, tell us a little bit about where, uh, the Tenuta Venturini Baldini is exactly, what the landscape it's like, and, you know, really give our listeners a picture of where you are in Amelia. Sure. It's my pleasure. So the, the estate is just between Parma and Reggio Emilia, almost, almost same distance between the two cities on the first foothills of the Apennine. So if you want to imagine it, it's almost like being in Tuscany because it's, this is the, the Apennine that goes all the way down from the north to the south of Tuscany, the Apennino Tosco Emiliano. Um, you come into the estate and you have this cypress tree lined roads that go up, um, a few hills, so the estate uh, stretches about 130 hectares. That's, I think, something around 300 acres, just a bit more, on various hills. So we go up to about 400 meters in, in terms of altitude. Okay, so it sounds really beautiful. I'm imagining that cypress-lined um, entrance to the estate with the mountains behind and, of course, vineyards all around. Tell us a little bit about the story of Tenuta Venturini Baldini. It's a historic property, isn't it? And you're in a very historic area. Yes, it is really one of the historic estates in Emilia. It's quite unique, actually, for that, because it used to be for centuries, it used to be a private residence of, um, you know, some of the noble families in the area. Then lastly, lately, the family of the Marchese Manodori, who used to be the governors of Reggio Emilia. So it, for, for a long time, it was just a private residence, like a hunting a hunting uh, lodge, if you want. And then in the 70s, Venturini Baldini, husband and wife, they uh, set about um, to create an, you know, an agricultural estate that I think was really quite visionary 
and innovative at the time. Uh, we're talking 70s. So 70s in Italy, they started out to create an uh, organic estate. So it's always been organic, got certification. That That's really very early at the time. They started out with a premium uh, version of Lambrusco. So high quality sparkling wines uh, of, you know, indigenous grapes from our area. So obviously also Lambrusco wines. And that was quite revolutionary, I think, at the time. And, you know, they kept the estate also an integral estate so it, it, it was never sort of split up um, in various parcels so it is really a very unique uh, property and like you said rightfully it is a very historic part of of our of our region it's the Terre di Canossa so it's you know where Matilde di Canossa one of those really formidable women almost 1000 years ago very powerful woman and she ruled a vast empire and and I think she would I, I would have loved to meet her to meet her actually she she must have been a very um interesting person and she those were her her, that that was her area. Yeah, that was her her terra di Canossa. So Canossa is near where you are. Canossa is about a two two hour walk. If you want to hike from our estate, you can walk to to Canossa. And where we are is uh, our our comune is called Quattro Castella. So the four castles and those four castles where they sort of formed her frontier i believe uh, so the, the her, her defense line and um and you know we we have on the estate we have also the uh, the oldest acetaya from uh, reggio emilia so it's where the balsamic vinegar comes from and that's that's all really connected to her history and and to this uh, territory so it's a really fascinating interesting uh, terroir that we have there absolutely fascinating story julia now tell us how you and your husband came to be on the estate a little bit about your background because you weren't uh, originally in the world of wine yeah that's right i was actually i i come from a completely different um, part of the of the world in terms of business i used to be in finance but my focus um, was often related to food um, food investments food companies so there was a strong connection being in the middle of the food valley, because that's also really important to, to remember in Emilia, this is the food valley of Italy. This is where so much of the produce that we know comes from. And so my husband and I, we both, um, you know, work in, in that area, invest in, in food companies. My husband also has produces wine in Sicily. He's, um, he's from Sicily. And, and so we, we spend a lot of time in Emilia. And then I think it's a bit of a combination of, you know, you're looking for it. You're not, you're not sure if you're looking for it. You don't know if you're looking for it. And then it, we found each other, I think. So it was a bit of a coincidence. It was a bit of looking for it, I think. And, um, and, you know, Venturini Baldini, they were coming, um, um, of it for, uh, someone to take over their estate. And so it's really a bit of a succession, um, story where we try to continue their work. Um, but obviously with a lot of changes from our side as well. Okay. And what year was that that you took over, Julia? 2015. 2015. So not that long ago then. What an exciting project for you. Yes, it is actually. And uh, you're right. It's not that long ago, but it, I feel like we have, um, it's, it's been very busy. Let's put it this way. So we've, uh... I, I imagine so. I imagine so. Now, it's interesting that you are saying that the estate were really pioneers in producing quality Lambrusco. Lambrusco. I suppose in the 60s, going back a little earlier, was one of the great success stories for industrially produced wines in vast quantity. But this is going the, in the other direction. 
farming organically and making quality Lambrusco, which I think when you're in Emilia is such a special wine, again, to go with the products of this wonderful food valley. Tell us a little bit about Lambrusco and the Lambruschi that you produce, because not everybody's aware of the very different varieties of the Lambrusco grape that make wonderful wines. Yeah, that's actually a really important point that you're making there. Lambrusco is really a spectrum. There's so much, there's not one Lambrusco. So it's really, there's a whole variety of grapes in that grape family, uh, colors, expressions, production methods. So it's really, yeah, there are, lo- there are lots of different uh, versions of Lambrusco out there. Um, and, and yes, Lambrusco, you know, Lambrusco is having a huge comeback and it's really, it's beautiful for me to see, and, and that's really the work, you know, that we've been, that Venturini and Bardini started, but also that we have been pursuing very actively in the, in the last years to bring back Lambrusco, you know, in the, in the important wine lists, in, in really introducing it as a serious wine to people who probably haven't even tried it because it really, after that success in the 60s, 70s, you know, which was a very industrialized mass produce, which still exists to some extent, but in the last 10, 15 years, so like family estates like ours, they've really been working towards um, that comeback of Lambrusco. So you, you, you obviously, you, we love the, the characteristics of Lambrusco. It is such a beautiful social wine, accessible. It, it's 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 not meant to be a, a complicated, a difficult wine. It's it is you know a very yeah I, I find a very social and and accessible wine, and it pairs wonderfully with so many things. Not just the Italian kitchen, but um, increasingly Asian cuisine is is finding how the the pairing really is nicely offsetting some of their dishes. You know, a barbecue as well or a steak. So it's 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 a really versatile wine, and and I think it's important to you know show that not without losing those. Uh, characteristics, it can be a serious one. Absolutely. And uh, you're right about, I think, one of its best qualities. It's such a convivial wine. It's a wine that makes you want to drink it. And and not just one glass, but two glasses, three glasses with friends, with family. Absolutely. And it's and that's really what is so beautiful about it. It's really, it's a social setting. It's a being together with friends and family. And I think that's that's also a large, to a large extent, the appeal that it has to people. It is you know, it um, it's just a very convivial situation, and uh, and you know, it, you don't need to spend a fortune either on on um, on a wine that you know is a very serious, good quality wine, and that everyone enjoys. Are you enjoying this podcast? There is so much more high quality wine content available from Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Check out our new wine study maps or books on Italian wine, including Italian Wine Unplugged and much, much more. Just visit our website, mamajumboshrimp.com. Now, back to the show. Yes, absolutely. Now, maybe part of that conviviality comes from the bubbles because Emilia is a, uh, Emilia, as separate from Romagna, is really a land where People love wine with bubbles, bollicine, whether from the Martinotti method or the classical method of secondary fermentation in the bottle. You produce both styles of wine. Is producing sparkling wines really something that you love to do? And tell us a little bit about 
the difference between the Martinotti and the Metodo Classico wines. Yes, no, but you're absolutely right. It's um, Emilia is is definitely known for its sparkling wines. You know that goes back to the also Lambrusco being lending itself to to a sparkling um, uh, expression, and um, and we have all the the production methods available, and even though. I think the Martinotti method is really perfect for Lambrusco, and it's 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 a wonderful way of uh, you know making the Lambrusco what it what it's supposed to be. A lot of uh, estates, including us, have been for many years um, have been using also the other production methods. So, for example, the the Champagne method or Metodo Classico method. And the difference really is that uh, you know, as you know. Pro- Champagne is is fermented in the bottle, so it's a bottle fermentation. Um, while the Metodo Martinotti or Chamat, so those uh, two names, effectively the same same style, is in an in a tank. Um, so it's in a what we call in Italian an autoclave. So that that is fundamentally the uh, the difference. The the champagne method tends to be also longer. So the fermentation in the bottle, we for example, we have wines that are typically thirty months and even longer, up to sixty months fermented in the bottle. While the the Martinotti method can be quite short in some instances. We at Venturini Baldini we use a longer um, fermentation time that goes from three, four months to up to six months in the in the, in the tank, in the steel tank. Okay, very slow fermentation at low temperature, I imagine, maintaining the freshness and, and that beautiful fruit of the Lambrusco then. Absolutely, you're very knowledgeable about it. <laughs> well, I love Lambrusco and I think it's a wine that, that I want people to love because, you know, especially when one is in Emilia and there's this wonderful food traditions that go so well, the salumi. Well, tell us a little bit about some of these food traditions in your food valley and why they pair so well with your wines. Yeah, I I think it's an interesting part of food pairing that often the wines and the food in each of the Italian regions really do have a a symbiosis in a way. They, They really match or offset each other it's quite interesting and i think that's definitely the case in in emilia um if you think first of all the food valley is really the source of so many things that across around the world people use in their in their daily cuisine so think of the parmesan uh, balsamic vinegar the parma ham there's really there's really an unbelievably big variety of food coming from from our area and the dishes you know that of course you can have all the t- traditional dishes like uh, a lasagna or the tagliatella al, al, uh, al ragu or bolognese often i think it's called um abroad so meat rich meat pasta is a perfect perfect pairing obviously with our with our lambruscos as it, as also like all a lot of the meat dishes in general because it's a nice way of of setting slightly fattier food so it's a really nice refreshing wine it's not too heavy it has and that i think is that the essence of that pairing that's also why the some of the the asian cuisines work really well you have a fatty fish for example is an amazing dish to offset to be offset with a with an ambrusco, so it's it's that contrast that works really well. Oh, that's fascinating. Of course, that's the high acidity that the lambrusco grape has. Is that right? Yes, yes, absolutely. And you know, the, the lambrusco grapes, like we said, there are so many different ones. Um, and that's also the fun part. You can experiment a little bit and see what you like and what works best with with each of the individual dishes. Yeah. 
Yeah, and different colors, you know, from the deep red of the Gasparoso to the pale Lambrusco di Sorbara, almost a rosato. So that's fascinating. I'm really interested uh, in um, the point you're making is that Lambrusco really is a wine to go with a lot of different cuisines, not just the local cuisine. I'm thinking that perhaps it would be a very good sushi wine then with that, with the fish, off fish. Yes, absolutely. And I think, for example, you just mentioned the, the Sorbara, which is a fascinating grape and it has a beautiful acidity. And we have, for example, we have a wine, which is our Cadelvento, which is quite well known now um, because it's so, so, so unique and special. And it was really one of the first uh, rosé sparkling Lambrusco. And it's a Sorbara uh, blended with Grasparossa and has that beautiful acidity. And, and in fact, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of our Japanese uh, restaurants love it in, in pairing with sushi because it's very delicate. So it, um, it, it's not overwhelming. And um, it really is a really, really good way of, uh, yes, in pairing in the, in, the, in the real essence of the word, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Now, uh, tell, tell me about another wine you produce, because you produce a whole range of wines. Tell me about Spergola. Yes. That, um, no, it's actually, it's, it's wonderful for you to ask, because it's um, what we're trying to do. We, we really, obviously, Lambrusco is, is our tradition and, and is a big part of our, of our work and our business and our history. But it's really important, um, you know, to not forget and actually rediscover some of the grapes, the indigenous grapes that are available in our, in our terroir. And spergola is one of those. And the spergola is, you know, it's, it's almost, it's almost been forgotten. And then, and sometimes it was also confused with a Sauvignon, for example. Um, so it's, it's a grape that also was a little bit neglected and, and, and probably was on the, on the brink of being extinct as well. And it's really having a comeback. Um, it's not a, it's not a, a big production. Um, we, we produce it on five hectares in a, in a smaller part, um, close by to the estate because it's in, in a diff slightly different hill. So it's the only part that is not inside of our estate. Um, and it, it really has for us a, a wonderful potential. And we use it both to make sparkling wines. And that's traditionally what people have been using it again. But we also make a still wine out of it. And that was also, you know, for us a really interesting project. Um, you know, bringing back grape varieties that have been neglected, forgotten, that are really very, very historical and giving them a new identity and also experimenting a little bit. Um, to, to see what the potential could be. Well, that's fascinating. I have to say, I've never, um, I've never tasted Spergola, so it's a wine I'm eager to discover myself. It has a, the, it, you, you'd often see it with a beautiful straw yellow, almost ours, for example, even has like, like a honey, honey yellow color. It's a beautiful, very, very. Oh my, from skin, skin contact? Very beautiful. Yes, it, it, it stays on the skin for some time. We, we try to, that for, and then it, I, I feel like it the, on the palate is very fresh and balanced and does have a very good persistence. So it it, it really lends itself. Uh, you know, we'll see what time shows. But we we decided to to also um, you know give give a chance to a still wine, and I, I do think it has an enormous potential. Now uh, you mentioned another very important product that comes from grapes. Um, 
di aceto balsamico tradizionale di Reggio Emilia, less well known perhaps than the traditional balsamic vinegar of Modena, but but just as just as special, just as prestigious, and and actually the acetai di canossa that you mentioned is. Did you say the oldest in the area? It's the oldest in Reggio Emilia. It dates back all the way to the 17th century. And it's really a very um, unique, almost a museum. So it's a very unique place, yeah. And so this is where you you would be making the traditional balsamic vinegar, which I must stress to our listeners is completely different from the supermarket balsamic vinegars that are industrially produced, just as real Lambrusco is very different from industrial Lambrusco. So it's really almost an elixir, a very special um, product made just from the cooked grape must. You summarized it perfectly. And I think what when you said it's almost like an elixir, I think that is really going back to Matilde di Canossa, you know, they referred to it as a balsamo. So it's it had this type of, yes, elixir, cure, um, slightly medicine aspect to it. And, um, and it is really a very special product. And so, yes, we produce the, the traditional balsamic vinegar, which is 100% grape must and, and aged for many, many years, um, up to 25 years. And, um, and then we produce obviously also, um, you know, uh, products that go, that continue that spirit, but obviously that are also a little bit more for everyday use. So the. Of course, of course. That's important too, to be able to have that more accessible, but still genuine products. Now, Julia, finally, um, can we turn to hospitality um, at Venturini Baldini and what you offer both for those who want to come and sample and discover your wines, but also for those who may want to stay or eat or what, what, what do you what do you offer to visitors? Yeah, we have, you know, that was a big part of our when we when I said we, we've made a lot of changes in the, those years since we took over the estate and creating a proper luxury hospitality offering was really the, the the biggest most fundamental part of our plan because we really felt like there is a, a, a terroir that needs to that needs to have a space for people to come and live and experience that um, that beautiful Emilia that we see and so we created um we created a proper little boutique hotel um, on the on the hills of our estate um, partly formed by the villa and then the the outbuildings around the villa so it's a it's a full immersion in emilia it's surrounded by nature it's really a very beautiful place that allows people to experience emilia and you know all of our guests have a balsamic vinegar tasting they see the architaya um, they, they often join us for wine tastings as well cooking classes um, they can explore the area we organize a lot of um, trips to other producers to the motor valley as well so we have obviously you know the automotive fans who can uh, see ferrari and um, lamborghini or ducati maserati so there's there's really a lot on offer in in our area and you know we we like we love the fact that we are a small place we have um, you know we have uh, 17 rooms that are really um, that allow us really to have a very personalized offering for our guests and sometimes people just want to just hang out at the pool and, you know, go for a hike, um, enjoy the nature and just chill and, and you know, enjoy that Apennine up, up mountains that I referred to before. Yes, absolutely. That to me is wine hospitality at its best, a really wonderful way to, to enjoy an area and really discover what 
how wine and food really are linked to a territory. Yes, it's an amazing way of, you know, when we talk about wine experience and that experience that in, in an essence, that is really what it is, that people come and, and live with us and enjoy and, and discover the things as we do them. And, um, and I, it, for us, it's an amazing thing because it gives us really that opportunity to also connect with our guests and, and you know, have an experience together. Yes, absolutely. Well, I hope that some of our listeners uh, will come to Reggio Emilia and, to, and, and find you in the wine hills of Reggio Emilia to discover and enjoy the, the hospitality. I would very much like to join you one day myself, so I will have you. That would be a pleasure. It would be my pleasure to have you over, so definitely. Well, I'll certainly would love to do that. Julia, thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been really nice talking to you and learning all about your world uh, and the wonderful wines that you produce. So I hope to see you soon. But in the meantime, thank you very much. Grazie. Thank you so much for having me. We hope you enjoyed today's episode brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th, 2022 in Verona, Italy. Remember, tickets are on sale now. So for more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.